going to change people's lives. We're going to talk about hanging up the cleats. Hi guys, happy Monday and welcome back to another episode of Hung Up Cleats. I'm Sophie Harris. And I'm Mary Chauvin. We're in a different location today. Yeah. As we're you can in a see, studio. We're, we're professional. We're like moving up in the world. It's so yeah. exciting. So we did a little road trip. We had an interview yesterday in Atlanta and then we came up here to Charlotte and we ended up booking another last minute interview. And I'm really excited about it because yeah. she's a fellow golf girly. Yes. Miss Haley Buchholz, welcome to Hung Up Cleats. Hey guys, happy to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, honestly, like I just wanted to start off by saying like what you're doing for women's golf is like amazing. Thank you. And I just feel like, especially just like, I feel like the girls that, you know, didn't like grow up around golf and their boyfriends like spend like five yes. hours on the golf course and all this stuff and they just like don't understand. I feel like you're helping like them a lot, like get to like hang out with their boyfriends on the golf course and kind of like are like being educated more. And I yeah. think that's awesome. Yeah. So like, first off, how did you get started like in your like early golf, like competitive career? Um, wait, I have so much tea. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much tea. Our favorite, we we our love starting line. a podcast this way. <laughs> yeah. I was like not going to bring it up until we started recording. I have tea around like you and Julia because you oh. guys, we almost, I almost moved to be near like wherever you guys grew up. I don't even think I knew where it was. Louisiana. Yes. But I had such a tough upbringing in golf. I was the only girl that I seemingly in New Jersey, like within driving distance, at least that played. And I was absolutely miserable. I had like the worst relationship (laughs) with my dad at the time. Like we fought every single day about it. And it was just like really, really tough. When I would go to tournaments, we'd have a great time and he'd caddy for me and I'd meet friends and all this stuff. But I think in high school, when I met Julia, we were at the Big Eye in Kansas, and I stayed with her and Macy Yeah, in, like, a host family. I was, like, so sad because they seemed so close, and then she would post about you, and I'm like, how is it? Like, how did these girls all go Division One golf and, like, get to grow up together? And I was so jealous, and then I remained jealous. <laughs> I remained jealous for the entirety of my career. And it actually ended up being somewhat of a joke on the Elon golf team where we, oh, would, really? we would look at like the LS- LSU and Ole Miss golf team and be like, God damn it. They seem like they're having so much oh fun. Oh my gosh. And we were, <laughs> that we is were like tea. downright jealous and upset about it because our team did not. Didn't vibe. have that chemistry. Mm-mm. No way. Yep. Wow. No. Well, that's crazy. See, I will say like I didn't realize like how lucky I was like. Because literally the first tournament I went to, I, you know, didn't know anything. I was seven. Mm -hmm. And, like, it was, like, a little, like, nine-hole tournament. And um, I think I shot, like, 54 on nine holes. Like, it was the first tournament I ever played in. And we came in, and Julia shot, like, 36. And then this other... (laughs) (laughs) And this other girl shot 35. And my dad was like, whoa, we have some work to do. And But that's why I got so good, because I became friends with these two girls that shot 35 and 36. And we would practice together. And, like, my our dads became friends. And so they would give each other advice. And then literally the next year, I was at the world championship. You have no idea. And, and like, but so you, I guess, like, it was just, like, boys around you. It, like, wasn't even boys. I had one boy friend who's still my good friend. His name's Ambrose. 
that played golf, and he was kind of, like, sporadically in and out of our, our club. His parents, like, really didn't care if he played or not. They'd, like, drop him off. But he got really good. He ended up going to – he transferred a bunch of times, but he played at SDSU, San Diego, for a little bit. And that was the only time that I, like, got to practice with somebody my age. Other than that, I was hanging out with my dad, which was just, like, such a stressful environment because <laughs> he wanted me to do so well. But, like, like I don't – would you say junior golf is hard to figure out? Because for us, it wasn't easy. We were like, how many stars do you need? What qualifier? Well, like we were, it was yeah. so stressful. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think we would have figured it out without these other people around. Because, like, yeah. it's like the blind leading the blind. It is. But until someone, like, understands and grasps, like, you okay, so this is what you... research. Yeah, so this much. is what you have to do. And then it's like, once someone figures it out, and, like, you have that community, it's like you just follow the That's leader. That's why I started what I do. Because I'm like, if I if my golf experience was just different in the sense that, like, I had some friends that played, I would have had so much better of a relationship with the game, I think. And, I like, yeah. for me, I don't know if you guys have heard me say this on social media, but I literally set a 10-year timer to when I would, like, never have to teach a golf club again. Did you know that? Oh, you did? No. Yeah. That's... It was just, like, legitimately so lonely. And oh. it was so associated with just, like, stress and travel and then I would get to tournaments and it seemed like everybody knew each other and I was like I always felt behind I always felt lonely oh my gosh I had no idea so different I I like loved traveling to tournaments like the world championships in Pinehurst were fun yeah but like I remember I played with this girl do did you ever meet Michael O'Berry yes I don't know why that name pops into my head well I think she was the first girl I played with at the world championships and she was so good at golf at the time I think I was nine she beat me by like 30 strokes and she also <laughs> knew everybody there. And I'm like, where do you all live? Like, how do you know each <laughs> Where do you come from? No, I, was... I feel like it's just like tournaments and just like meeting people. I guess just like mutual friends and all that. I feel like Louisiana just had so many golfers though. Mm -hmm. What was your college golf experience like? I got there. I <laughs> played in the first two tournaments. Not well. None of us played well, but I was, like, mentally not doing great. And then I didn't travel to the next couple tournaments. End of the season comes. We all go to Scotland for our, like, study abroad trip as a team. Oh, that's Get cool. back. I'm taking finals. It's an hour before finals. Coach calls us into his office. Bang, bang, bang. Off the team, off the team, off the team, off the team. I was going to ask like, about this. Hello? I was going to ask about this because... Oh, my I gosh. So I saw the video that you made, mm -hmm. and you were like, I don't know if any of you know this, but I was kicked off my college golf team. You were actually kicked off? I was actually kicked off and put back on by the athletic department. Okay, I was about to say, what there's the no way, there's no way that, like, you stayed off. No, I didn't stay off. Because what? <laughs> I did not stay off. What happened was... I told you guys I traveled for the first two tournaments. I didn't perform great. I I remember feeling like super mentally shocked by the whole thing. The girls weren't super friendly. The girls in my class were like we were starting to get along, but we felt very like it it wasn't a fun environment, hence where like all of the comparison comes to the Ole Miss team, right? Because everybody seemed so nice. And the third tournament comes around. I didn't qualify for it, which fair enough, I like wasn't playing well. So this is now my first tournament not traveling with the team, and we did not have an assistant coach. So when the team was traveling, the girls stayed back, right? It was me, two other freshmen, and one junior, I believe she was. 
And our coach had texted us like, hey, set you up a tee time at 7 a.m. at Indian Valley or wherever we were playing that day. Crappy golf course. And we get there. The weather is like really not good. We're like playing. We're getting through nine holes. It's about to thunderstorm, but like we could have kept playing. Basically, nobody wanted to be there. And we kind of were just like, yeah, like this kind of sucks. Chugging through. The junior that was with us, who we had now only known for two weeks, was yeah. like, if you all want to leave, like, I, I don't want to be here either. Coach won't mind. Like, we do this all the time. It's really not a big deal. So we were like. So you played nine holes and the weather was bad. So you were like, okay, like. Yeah, when we were directed to play 18 for practice. Like, it wasn't qualifying. It wasn't anything. Yeah. Which, like, not great. I should have called him. Like, that's the one thing I look back on. I wish I had a better relationship with him or just the courage to, like, start that relationship off. So we left. The junior that was with us was kind of just like, I'll handle it. Like, you know, not a big deal. I'll contact him. So we kind of all thought that she would do it. because Well, yeah, and she's the older girl, so it kind of is yeah. her responsibility. She did not get back on the team. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, like, a little weird there. The weird part was then after, after that, the team gets back. We start practice as usual. He asks us how it went. I, at this point, had forgotten that, like, there was anything less than normal. So I was just like, yeah, it was okay. Good. Like, it was good. Whole semester goes by. You probably thought the junior took care of it, too. So you're like, oh, I, I don't need to tell him anything. Like, we Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's kind of, like, the unspoken thing with, like, seniority on the team. Like, you yeah. should be communicating those things, especially, like, if you're trying to boss the freshman around and say, oh, this is fine. We do this all the time. Yeah. I mean, like, she wasn't bossy. Like, we were definitely complaining. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to blame anybody more than there deserves to be blame other than how it was handled by the coaches. I'll admit it was wrong to play 19 and, or nine instead of 18. And I should have called him. I wish I had that relationship mm -hmm. and took that leadership role instead of relying on somebody else. That's yeah. where I'll take blame and the whole integrity of golf and stuff like that. I'll take that blame as well. But the whole semester goes by. Nothing is mentioned, right? It's now an hour, but even we even went, that's why I mentioned Scotland. We even traveled to Scotland with the team. Like, as if we're on the team. I'm on a full ride. Like, I can't be at this school if I'm not on a full ride. It's a private school. Right, right. right. So it's now, like, an hour or two before our first ever co college finals. He calls us into his office, the four of us, one at a time. I go first. And he's just like, yeah, like, I, I just found out that you played nine instead of 18 and lied about it. Um, so you're off the team. We can't have that here. And I was just like, Really? lied about it like I was just like okay can we have a conversation like it's just weird that you're finding out just now like how are you finding yeah, and out it's three like three months later like that's well, a also weird. it's like after a whole semester haven't you like earned like a little bit more trust I was never late to practice did I have my best performance semester like no, absolutely no, not. No, but, like, the controllable things, like playing 9 instead of 18, it's like you made one mistake. Mm -hmm. So it's like you got the whole semester to, like, show this guy, like, hey, I mean, yeah, I did that, but, like, look at all this other stuff that I did that yeah. was correct. So I come out of the office, and I'm just, like, completely shell-shocked. I, I asked him, I was like, can we have a conversation? Well, like, that's like getting fired from so a job. weird. Yeah. Like, blindsided, like. Blindsided. Yeah. So I come out and I, I like warn the girls. I'm like, I think they're off the team. Like, this is really weird. I immediately call my dad, not to be like, oh, daddy, come help. But like, he flew in to come have meetings with the athletic department and my coach. And in this moment, we're now scrambling to figure out what happened because he's blaming it on this. But like, 
it didn't make sense that he found out three months late and it didn't make sense that there was zero communication or like some kind of even ask her side of it yeah no no due process of like how the law even works of like just some kind of punishment or (laughs) warning or anything like that like probation, like something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I volunteered to do community service. I was like, you can suspend me. Like, I'll do however many hours of community service. I'll like, whatever. And it was like, just no, like, not having any of it. And I was like, what? This is so strange. So my dad contacts one of the other girl's dads. And they, they talk about the situation. And her dad is like, wait a minute. I remember I checked up on her, his daughter, earlier in the semester around the time that this happened. And he had emailed our coach saying like, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Like, just want to check up on her, like as her dad, you know? And he responded in that moment early in the semester, hey, she's doing really well. Love having her on the team. I did find out she played nine instead of 18 yesterday, but other than that, everything's good. So now we have written proof that he found out in the moment, like the day that we played nine or 18 and then didn't bring it up the entire semester, and suddenly at the end, we're done. And right before he knew we were about to leave campus, too. So, like, just easy peasy, don't be my problem, leave, and don't come back. So so how was that handled? Once we had that information, we now had him in a lie of when he found right. out. So now we're like, if you're lying about that, there's got to be a reason. And we started having meetings with the athletic department. We caught him in kind of, like, strings of lies because – which is so ironic that we were being kicked off for lying. (laughs) He lied about when he found out because, this is our assumption, he was waiting to see how we panned out like as players, and none of us had our best season for sure. Oh, so now he's like, oh, now I can, I have now pr- I have a way out. I have a way to kick them off and like get new players. So he, yeah, he kept it in his back pocket for the whole semester, and then waited until it would be easiest, so like we would just be done, and then tried to clear house and bring back some scholarship money and get new players. And so that's basically like our argument in the meetings with the athletic department. And the athletic department was like, okay, like, yeah, this isn't exactly just. So they decided that we would do our community service the following semester. And one of the people from the athletic department had to like come monitor our practices to make sure everything was going okay. You finished out your golf career there and you decided to retire, basically. Because mm-hmm. COVID happened, and we kind of had the option to do our season, and I was like, sayonara. Like, yeah. any any possibility, because I came back, I did my community service, and I couldn't play until I did my community service, which I was fine with, because I did not want to be, I was, like, traumatized from that. I had no trust for oh anybody, God, yeah. except yeah. for the girls that were, like, in my class. Just got the rug ripped yeah. out from under you, like, that's... Yeah. I bet yeah. that brought you so close to those other girls, though. We did get very close. We lived together the, the following year, and we were all very good friends, and COVID kind of separated everybody and, and whatnot, but, um, yeah. So, we did our community service. I if I'm being completely honest, kind of milked it because I did not want to go back to the team. So even if I did four hours one day, I'd log like three or two. Mm It's like I didn't want to reach my number because I did not want to go back. Then I like (laughs) had a mental break that summer and I was like, F you, F this. I'm going to come back. I want to be the best player on that team. It's not going to be questionable. Like I just, I wanted to use my revenge tour. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it was my revenge tour. And I did really well. I practiced hard that summer, and I I had a good season. 
but like it just the performance anxiety and the general anxiety I had to go to practice just somehow kept building throughout the season the expectations the distrust the pressure it was like so wild so by then I well how are you supposed to perform well in an environment at a high level if like this is your relationship with your coach mm-hmm. and you're like constantly living in the fear of, Oh, I can't mess up again. Yeah. I can't mess up again. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. No, it was horrible. It was like every single day. And at the time I didn't really know much about mental health. I didn't address anything. Now I know a lot. So I like can see what my symptoms were like, but I would wake up before practice and like my heart would sink and I would, it was like one of those things where I wouldn't want to get out of bed until the absolute very last possible minute. And I was never late or anything like that, but like just dreading it every time. And I would like, you guys, if you ever do something you really don't want to do or you're anxious, all the energy just like would leave my body and I'd have no energy to practice and it never made sense. And it made me look lazy and look like I didn't care about golf because I would go to the gym extra. I would put so I would have all the energy at weights. I had time to go for a run that day and study till 3 a.m. But like in my two hour time block at golf, I was like exhausted. Yeah. Did you ever think about transferring? Yes. But the transfer portal did not exist at the time. Yeah. I think that came up maybe like the following year. So So it would have been a lot. Yeah. So the we had an interview that we just did that she was talking about that and she was like the transfer portal the transfer portal wasn't a thing so if you wanted to transfer you were basically back to like square one with recruiting like emailing coaches like frantically like hey like I'm trying to but you also like couldn't contact coaches until you were released yeah so it's not even like you could have some scholarship on the line yeah so it's not even like you could have something set up prior so it's like you make the decision and then it's just like good luck (laughs) you gotta jump good luck and then you have to transfer like everything like it's not even just the golf but for me I was like not wanting to risk the full ride yeah I just that was like what we're saying but yeah that was my college experience and then COVID happened and I like literally threw a little party for myself because I was like yay (laughs) my timer got quit like two years early your your 10 year timer (laughs) ran out I was like cancel like (laughs) I have a question though okay so like my athletic career ended early as well it wasn't really like by my choice so like I medically retired Uh but did you ever feel like you, even though, like, you didn't have the best experience, did you ever feel like you had unfinished business? Like, did you watch other people going and being successful and you're like, oh, like, that could be me. I could be that successful if I was in that environment thriving. Like Julia. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So... I, yeah, I have a lot to say about that because that ties into a lot of sports psychology concepts that I've been learning. I think that ties into what's called an ego motivational climate, and that's how I grew up. Everything was about normative comparison. So it's like, what did she shoot? How many hours is she practicing? Like, oh, I'm technically more athletic than this person, or I think I am, so that means I should be better at golf, or like I should be shooting X, right? And it was this whole very egotistical air of everything is based around superiority and respect and how people see you and there was really no sense of like self it was always just who am I in comparison to other people and I think that's very common in sports like a lot of coaches a lot of parents think that's what motivates people 
and it I'm not saying it doesn't motivate you. It's called an ego motivational climate. So there is something that could put a little drive, but it's highly, highly, highly associated with performance anxiety and attrition and a lot of just bad outcomes in sports. Right. And you're honestly no, like, like I'm relating to this so hard right now. Yeah. Like I yeah. wish I would have known about this because I feel like a lot so of girls, I. especially like with soccer, I feel like it was all like comparison. Mm-hmm. Like well, yeah, doing you're this, like doing that. Who hindering. can commit to the best school? Yeah. Who can get the most offers? How much scholarship money are you getting? All of that stuff. And people in in the world of sports will say that you don't have what it takes if you don't have that competitive edge to you. Right. They don't. They. It's psychologically inaccurate, really, because. It, it doesn't equate to better performance to wrap yourself up in what other people are doing directly. Yes, so like, yeah, but like, and it's hindering yourself because if you're getting performance anxiety, you're not going to perform as well. Right. And I'm thinking yeah. about this. Like, comes to mind when I think, I think it was it was either Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky. It was one of like the the either one of those two. But there's a there's a photo. I think it was Michael Phelps. There was a photo. And he was about to, like, break the record for gold medals. And there was a guy, like, trailing right behind him. And Michael Phelps was, like, looking – like, he was doing, like, butterfly. And he was, like, looking forward. And this other guy kept looking to see. I saw that. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, Mm -hmm. this is why Michael Phelps won. Mm -hmm. He wasn't focused on anything but the wall Mm -hmm. and touching the wall first. And this guy was, like, just checking, like, making sure, like, okay, like, where am I at? Like, Mm -hmm. no. You need to focus on the wall. No, it that and that was my entire golf career, and I'm so sad that I didn't figure that. I remember, and nothing against my dad. My dad is my best friend, but like we've had all these conversations and looked back and been like, okay, we could have done a lot differently. Yeah. Um, but I still, I've told him like in my career as I study this, as I have a podcast and a public forum, like I am gonna talk about our mistakes because I think it could help people for sure. So I have his consent to talk about our mistakes. But I remember at tournaments when I would come in. The rest of the evening, he would be hounding me to check the leaderboard. You don't care. Check the leaderboard. What are you doing? How do you not care? Like, see where you're at. See, that's why you don't Mm -hmm. deserve to be here. Like, Mm -hmm. these other girls work harder than you. All these things. And as a kid, I had, like, the instinctual belief that, like, that wasn't helping me. And he was not having that. He wanted – he thought that would, like, light a fire in my belly and make me play better, which is, like, psychologically – so inaccurate and I had that intuition but that's the environment I, I grew exactly. up in and he just exactly wanted me to feeling. be motivated yeah he thought that the like I think it's just a common misconception that motivation can't exist if there's no like rivalry but it does so the yeah. opposite of that that I would love to curate for my kids or in a coaching situation or honestly just talk about on the internet is called a mastery climate and that is a much bigger focus on number one enjoyment of what you're doing not to say it's not going to be hard work at times but enjoyment of the process right number two is task oriented things so like you reward yourself or give yourself positive reinforcement or your coaches do for completing a task to your best effort the best of your ability showing up with a good attitude and putting in your effort basically is success in a mastery climate whereas in an ego climate Success is very simply winning. Winning in a mastery climate is like a side effect almost. Yeah. And it's like. That's like, like I'm thinking of like Michael Phelps. Like, yeah. He's fo- like, 
people like that are focused on perfecting themselves. The craft, yeah. Yeah, and like Tom Brady won so many Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. He didn't need another Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. but he was focused on like, that's why he won so many, because he's like, I don't care how many Super Bowls I've won, I want to win another one. Mm -hmm. And not worried about the competition, worried about himself. Yeah. Like you said, the swimmer. Like with the wall, like Michael Phelps is looking at the wall and he wants, he's focused on winning and touching the wall. The other guy is focused on beating everyone else. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's so different for the brain. And I can explain a little bit like what happens in your brain actually that inhibits performance. So we know that the ego climate is directly associated with increased performance anxiety. That's not to say that no great athletes exist in more of an ego climate mindset, right? Yeah. A lot of them do. Brooks Kepka does. But we've also seen Brooks Kepka have a lot of up and down success and emotional highs and lows, which comes from that, right? Yep. You'll see more steady emotional ability with like Scotty Scheffler. He is the definition of a mastery Master climate. climate, right? He's he's got high self-esteem, he's focused on himself. And even when asked about it, he'll be like if if they're asking oh, don't you feel pressure to be, like, in the top three? Or don't you have a rivalry with Rory and all that? And he's like, no, not really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, why would you ask me that? Like, he's like, no. no, like, I did this not great today, so I'm going to try to do that better, better. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and I did this good, so, like, I'm happy about that. Like, yeah, right. So in the brain, when you have anxiety, it's a part of your brain called the basal ganglia, which is, like, close to the brainstem. When that... Sound, the basal ganglia, I'll start off with this, is designed to keep you safe, right? Okay. It's a very old part of the brain that's existed since prehistoric times. So it's much stronger than newer parts of the brain that have since developed that give humans a lot of like rational thought and cognitive function on all those types of things, right? So the basal I'm thinking ganglia, like, is that like what gives you like the comfort zone? I don't know. Like, you Possibly. know, you're like, like if you feel oh, safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Potentially. So it's like, it's this part of the brain that is simply designed to keep you safe. But that existed when humans were like trying to run away from tigers and shit like that. Like now its main priority is still the same, but it doesn't tend to be very accurate because most of the things that we believe are our fears or are a threat to us aren't actual physical threats to us, Mm -hmm. like failing at something giving a speech or like basically anything. If you don't have super high self-esteem, if you're existing in this ego climate and your main concern is how people think of you, that's going to be a huge fear for you, right? So nonetheless, basal ganglia says, okay, this is a fear. It's obviously a threat to our lives. I'm going to sound the alarm. What happens then when the basal ganglia is sounding the alarm saying you're anxious, right? And you should be anxious. The prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for rational thought and basically like reason goes offline. Like it's no longer in the party. So if you've ever had anxiety, you might notice everything starts to feel very fast around you Mm -hmm. because in your brain, it is your brain is, is traveling at higher frequency and higher like waves. So you're literally seeing things at a faster pace and your prefrontal cortex isn't doing shit for you in, in terms of saying, like, hey, you're not actually in danger right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. you're all good. You've convinced kids. yourself yeah. that yeah. you are. You can't. And it's so hard to swim out of because the basal ganglia is such an older part of the brain that it just has such higher processing power. So the prefrontal cortex, which humans developed later on as our skulls developed, it's like it's useless almost. And it's wow. the craziest thing. So. 
that's why performance anxiety can be really hard because especially for faster paced sports, like if you're a quarterback and you have to make decisions really fast, you need to see the game slowly. This makes so much sense. Yeah. I wish I would have known this when I was playing. Isn't it crazy? And I wish every girl could know this that's playing now. Yeah. So guys, listen up. <laughs> <laughs> listen to years on. Yeah. So if you're feeling and anxiety is very different than nerves, but when you're anxious, everything tends to look very quick to you. It's hard to make rational decisions. It's hard to slow down your thought process. Mm-hmm. And it really inhibits performance. Also, when you're anxious, your body, <laughs> your body is preparing to escape from something physically. So that's why you notice your heart starts to pump faster. It's trying to get more blood to your limbs so you can literally oh pump your God. arms and run. run faster. So you notice your body temperature starts to go up yeah. because your heart rate's going up. Your blood is pumping to your limbs. So you, you might break get a that little like sweat. tingly. Yeah. All those, all those things, the little like nausea butterflies, that's your blood leaving your stomach and going to your limbs so you can literally run away faster <laughs> from the tiger. <laughs> so wow, is there crazy. a way to, like, how do people prevent this? How do you overcome this? Deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Breathing exercises. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, there's, I think a lot of that goes back to like your daily practices and your belief systems because. Yeah. Ultimately, I think for a long-term change, you, you are going to have to address what you're afraid of. And so first step is like knowing what you're actually afraid of because a lot of people just feel the anxiety symptoms. They don't feel – they don't think about like what is they the worst thing. don't pinpoint why. Yeah. So one of the best things you can actually do, and a lot of people would disagree with this, I think, run yourself through the worst-case scenario. What happens if I shoot 105 today? Is my family not going to love me? (laughs) Is my dad going to leave me here? Am I going to get kicked off the team? Are people going to laugh at me? Are people not going to respect me? Like, get real, like, really dig into it, you know? And once you address those fears, I think that's, like, the first step in really getting over performance anxiety if you exist in this, like, Yeah, because it's, like, those things are not going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen. It's all in your head. You still, like, you have to get to the point where you respect yourself as a human being. Not yeah. just for like the performance that you bring to the table. Your value yeah. comes from who you. Like, yeah, my value comes from who I am, not no. what I do. One of my friends yeah. told me that she. So we we interviewed basketball at UCLA, yeah. and they like her coach. She loved her coach. Everyone loved her coach. Like drilled this into their brain. Like you were not your sport. My value comes yeah. from who I am, not what I do. I'm like, I wish that was that's my a good coach. coach. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like that's that I mean, is a good coach. But UCLA basketball is so successful, and like. I feel like that goes hand in hand. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was never told that. <laughs> Same. But then it's like we talked about this on our – or I don't even know if we talked about it on the podcast. We just talked about it with Keely and her fiancé. Like, it's – there's not a lot of, like, women's coaches that necessarily care about that. And it's, like, people like us that would be great women's coaches in our craft – don't want to coach because like I have no desire to do that I don't think you have any desire to do that but it's like why I'm gonna be my like career track right now is I'm gonna be in mental performance consulting so like I could consult for a team I could work for a university I could do it online I'll have the podcast like I'm gonna get the message out there more I don't know exactly which path I'll do because I'm self-employed like I don't necessarily want to work for anybody but um yeah crazy stuff You'll that figure it out. Would the podcast is going to be great. I'm excited for the podcast. Yes. We're going to dig into a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, back to your question about, like, how you manage this. 
a lot of people have find mindfulness to help, which sounds like really broad, but mindfulness is basically a practice rooted in intention and awareness and, and groundedness that helps you. Really, the practice is to center you in the present moment. And that is what you need if you are super anxious because anxiety is putting yourself in either in the future or the past. Right. So, yeah. Then there's like all types of practices you can do. You could do like breath work, you could do a body scan, you could do a couple different things, but just something to funnel your focus to something you can like legitimately feel in the present moment is really good. It's my, that was kind of like my mom's mindset when I went in the transfer portal. She was like, it can't get any worse at your <laughs> first school. So like, what is the worst that happens? You go in the portal, like, you know, you've got schools you can go to in the back of your pocket. Like you're not just not going to play college soccer anymore. Like, you know, you've got schools you can go to. She's like, what's the worst that happens to you in the portal? Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you're right. And it turned out great. So were yeah. your parents very involved in your sports growing up? My dad was my coach. Yeah. Yeah. My mom knew nothing about soccer. But she was at every game, looking up everything, every role. Like, she learned it, like, learned for it me and was very present during my yeah. whole experience. What would you say your motivational climate was growing up? Would you say it was more on the mastery end? Oh, of no. Like, ego. Not. More ego? <laughs> ego, definitely. I just feel like that's a – like, the mastery climate seems like something very hard to, like, actually mm – -hmm. like, I don't even know how you would – as a parent or a coach? Yeah, how you would instill that in someone just because... You reward them for not... For winning. For not and, outcomes. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. like, you reward in a mastery climate if you have a kid that's... I don't know. Let's say let's use soccer as an example. They lose the game, but they showed up, and you could tell they were hustling the whole game. They were focused. They were present. They had a good attitude even when things were hard. Good game. Let's get ice cream. Like... Yeah. From a young age. You instill that and you show them that that's what you care about. Yeah. Now that I'm processing this, I can literally go back and think about different coaches that had different approaches. Like, I remember I had an amazing club coach my junior and senior year. I wish he would have coached me throughout, like, my whole childhood because I remember we played a terrible tournament one time. Things just didn't go our way. And we all, like, went in his, like – little meeting room with our club and we're like oh like we're all about to get screamed at like that next like Monday at practice and he was like you know what like you all showed up you worked hard it just mm -hmm. didn't go our way and yeah. we all were like for sure I who is this guy we thought we were out to run the whole time yeah. like I also think you can gaslight people into believing that they're hard workers and this is <laughs> this is a really interesting thing but my dad and my family people around me in general that watched me play golf I was complimented on strength, athletic ability, my looks, because like being a female golfer, if you are like blonde, basically, like you'll get sponsors on the LPGA. <laughs> no, literally. That's, what, that's like <laughs> literally what people would tell me. So everything was about like how I looked, my athletic ability, and everything was like, your golf swing is good. You should be good, right? Yeah, it like looks pretty. It looks pretty. You look people like you tell have me the same everything thing. in the world to to be what the world of golf needs, right? And then a part of me would always be like, okay, but but that like, doesn't it's matter. Not <laughs> happening. Like it, I'm like I just never. It always made me feel too much pressure around those things. And then, on that same page, my dad would constantly tell me, to his credit, this was how he thought would like motivate me. You're not a hard worker. 
everybody's working harder than you. Yeah. She put in double the hours as you. You're lazy if you don't look at the leaderboard, if you don't That's like... That's such a common thing to say yes. because then it's like, oh, well, if he's saying that this, then I need to work harder. I need to... But it doesn't work. It literally just... It, you probably it were like, oh, it must head, be true. This narrative that, like, I am a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> 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 and I just started to believe that about myself and it didn't make me want to, like, work harder at all. My mom would actually tell me, she told me later in life that she did this, but I remember all throughout high school, she would be like, oh, I have such a great teenager. She's a great teenager. She gives me no problems. Like, she doesn't have an attitude. She doesn't do bad things. Like, I got lucky. She's great. Mind game, and she, mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she told me later in life that she read this book about, like, the more you enforce that your teenager, like, is a good person. Then they're they going to want to be. They're going to be. They're going to hold yep. themselves to that standard. So she was like, all of your friends' parents that would, like, be like, oh, she's so bad, or oh, she did she this has an about attitude. their own child. Like, they were more inclined to have an attitude or, that makes so much sense. like, break the rules or sneak out or drink underage. That's and so for me, I was like, oh, like, my mom says I'm a good teenager. I am a good teenager. That's, I'm going to yeah. do everything right. She gave right. you the trust. Yeah. And then you didn't want to break the trust. I think you can do the same with yeah. sports. Yeah. I think if I somebody was like, hey, I really respect you. You're a really hard worker. Like, if if... Because my dad always held me to this standard of, like, fucking Jack Nicholas. He'd be like, Jack Nicholas used to sleep in the bunker and practice. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, dad, cool. Jack but, Nicholas uh, used to walk to the golf course, sneak on, sleep in the bunker so he didn't waste a second of daylight, <laughs> and literally, like, bleed as he's practicing. So anything less than that, I was led to believe I'm a lazy piece of shit. And if somebody, like, if <laughs> that I, is so funny. <laughs> That's wild. But, like, my dad <laughs> is just one of those people that likes to get, like, intense and passionate and, yeah. like, crazy about it. But if I had gone to practice for two hours and somebody was like, damn, girl, you're a really hard worker. Like, even though that's nothing crazy, I could see that being like, yeah, I am a hard worker. I'm going to stay, actually. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I would have just learned to believe that about myself and made that come true. Yeah. But that I just avoided everything. You have a pretty big following on TikTok and Instagram. How did you kind of get started in the social media industry? What made you want to go that route with everything? And when did you start that, like, following? I know it probably followed ending your college golf career, but... yeah. How close in time was that? Was it immediately? Did you take a little break away from golf and then step back into it with social media? I'm curious about this, too, because I didn't touch yeah. a golf club for, like, a full year. Yeah, neither <laughs> did I. So I made a couple videos on TikTok, like, and I literally mean a couple, in college. Um, so, yeah, I made a couple videos my junior year just for fun. There was, I, there was no way to, like, monetize TikTok at the time, or maybe there was. It was brand new. I don't know. Made a couple videos for fun. I felt like my team was kind of always, like, you know, like judgy. it wasn't a nice team. It was judgy. So I really didn't stick with it. The other thing I hated about it was when I made videos back then, I had a hundred percent male following hundred percent. Like mm. every comment was creepy or just like intrusive and weird. And it just like, it was not a feel good community at all. Right. But I did have a video go viral. And back then you could jump so, so fast. So I got to like 30,000 followers literally overnight. Like mm -hmm. that's how TikTok used to be. Right. And I was just like, oh, like, eh. so I made a couple more videos, like maybe a day in the life as a college golfer, which was like a horrible video, maybe a swing video here and there, but that was it. 
Then I quit that because it was cringy and my team hated it and the community was weird. Then I quit golf because COVID happened and I just like had a really great senior year with my friends. And then I got a job, a regular job in Charlotte. I was a recruiter. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we I love the college-to-recruiter pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. And I was just, like, set on being a regular person. I, like, always wanted to be a regular old Joe. And I went and I got a recruiting job. And, like, that nah, was not my dream job for sure. Yeah. And I then- love how you called it regular person. Because we think that, too, but it's, like, we're like, oh, like, there's this stigma around, like, being a college athlete and being, like, yes. the top dog on campus. And you're like, oh, I was ready to be a regular person. Like, what I mean it's by crazy that, that you're, like, not a regular person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. We're all special. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I don't even mean that. What I, Where that comes from me, definitely, like, the NARP lingo in college, right? Yeah. But when I was younger... The constant push to golf and LPGA tour and like this was going to be my Mm -hmm. career. I would always be like, but what if I want, what if I don't want to do that? Like, am I smart enough to do something else? Yeah, I was the same way. I I don't want to be outside for eight hours a day. Or travel all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And my coach would be like, well, you're going to go sell insurance and like, like whatever. And my dad would be like, yeah, you're going to work at McDonald's or you're going to sell insurance and you're going to be miserable if you don't play golf. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, will I? <laughs> so then I, <laughs> I had this idea that like I would get a regular job. It wasn't insurance, but it was recruiting, like just as basic. And I like was determined not to hate it. And I hated it. I wanted to be outside. I was, like, (laughs) miserable. Um, The thing that got me back into content was Davis and I had gotten back together, and he was going out to San Diego for pre-draft training. So I moved out there with him for, like, three or four months unexpectedly. It was supposed to be two weeks I was visiting him. I was still working my 9 to 5, but starting every day at, like, 4.45 a.m., and getting done early. So Davis and I, and his training was in the morning, too. So we started playing golf in the afternoon. I didn't even have my clubs out there. I used his. And he started to convince me that, like, I need to address my fears with golf. It was to the point – it was so bad at this point that if I – if he mentioned golf, if he talked about his round, I would, like – I would have anxiety. And if I showed up to a golf course, I would have – I would, like, cry. I would – like, I'm not even kidding. I would would show up, and I'd be on the premises. I'd walk in the pro shop, and if somebody tried to talk to me, I'd have, like, like, tears in my eyes. Yeah. I was like that with soccer for a while. Isn't that horrible? I wow. couldn't go watch a game. <laughs> yeah. That is like, horrible. I literally got given, like, free NSC tickets at the beginning of the year, and I told my roommate, I was like, I'm going to have a mental breakdown if I go to this game. I can't go. Yeah. That's so it's sad. crazy. And it was specifically with women's or – because for me, it was mostly – Yeah, I feel – I mean, I don't really know if it was specifically for men's or women's, but, like, I feel like I have not watched a female soccer game since I stopped playing. Yeah. I've watched male soccer games and I'm like, I'm fine, I'm chilling. But like That's how I, am I still haven't I haven't followed any of the World Cup. Yeah. And if I was playing right like if I was still playing right now or like I'd finished college, I'd be so zoned into it watching every game. But yeah, like I just I don't know. And I haven't even really thought about it. I yeah. Mm-hmm. You just brought that to my attention. I've not watched a women's game. Yeah. So if you look at my content now, how I support women's golf, I cannot explain to you how much I had to force that in the beginning. And I'm being like so honest right now. Not that I didn't want to support other women. I was so 
I hate to use the word triggered, but it really was so triggering for me because I had not escaped that ego environment yet. Every time I saw women's golf, I had this voice in my head or a voice like literally speaking to me, like my dad, saying like, that could have been you. Mm-hmm. Like my dad would see Julia's stuff and he'd be like, like proud of her because we knew them in junior golf, but there was no matter who we saw, like, oh, she went here, she's doing this, she works at the golf channel, she's playing on tour. That fucking could have been you. Like it's always that vibe. And I oh, I still to this day, I'm like trying to train him out of that. Yeah, it's like that wasn't my path. Yeah, and I'm like, that that's not how it worked out for me. And like, I need to be okay with that. And I need to be able to support the girls that made it there. Yeah. In my own way. Right. And so that has been the most, like, powerful and peaceful thing in my life is to just decide I support these girls. That wasn't my path. Maybe it could have been in another life, but I'm not going to live my life thinking, like, that should have been me. Because that... That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to take this with me because, like, yeah. I, that, that was my big struggle this year. Like, everyone was still kind of playing, doing their senior year, and I wasn't. The whole time I was like, that could have been me. Like, mm-hmm. I could have been winning an OVC championship. I could have been doing this. but And this applies to everything. That wasn't, have you ever like, been jealous said, of a yeah. girl for, like, relationship issues? Guess what? I love her now. Like, that – I can't explain what it does, but just choosing to, like, love and support that person – instead of letting the jealousy get the best of you is just like it's like such a release and it makes you feel so good and now that's why I'm like so passionate about supporting women's golf but also just like anybody who's getting after it like the girls I just love it so I love that that's how what's the most rewarding part of your job that for sure like I love the fact that I can now see not that I ever, like, wanted bad for anybody. I used Julie as an example because of, like, the culture at Ole Miss and all that kind of stuff. And my dad, for some reason, like, used her a lot, too, to compare me My to dad her. did, too, but, I mean. she was dirty at golf, and she still <laughs> is. Like, <laughs> Julia's going to love this really episode. She's going to be like, by the way, anyone and, that's and listening. She had, she had, Julia had the grit. Oh, my God. She had Insane. the grit, but, like. What I noticed, what I remember from her, at least, like I haven't seen her in a really long time, but from what I remember, it was a very competitive grit focus, but it wasn't looking to see what other people were doing. No, no, and no. And that's not at the all. difference between right. being competitive and being insecure. <laughs> like, I also yeah. feel like, well, that's the thing. I'm like thinking, I'm like, I wonder what her climate is because I feel like it's probably a mix of both, mm-hmm. but she was very self focused. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, but I wanted to say, we've mentioned Julia a lot. (laughs) Julia, Julia is my best friend that I grew up playing golf with. Yes. She is amazing at golf. She went to Ole Miss, won a national, basically changed the Ole Miss golf program. I literally felt like every time I open Instagram, Julia won something. (laughs) And she won a national championship. She now is a common, she's now a commentator on the golf channel. She's like absolutely killing it. She also... Um, has tied the record for the lowest round in a college golf tournament, which is 62. So just put she that into perspective. In zone, so that is who Julia like, is. We've else. mentioned her so much. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yes. But yeah, no, for sure. Unreal. And I like the most rewarding part of my job now is I genuinely get so much happiness seeing her and other girls succeed in golf or their careers or whatever and just feel like I don't have to compare myself to be happy for them. Right. And I don't have to be better in any way to be happy for them. Yeah. 
So that's, that's definitely the most rewarding part. But how I got started, I um, just decided, like Davis pushed me to get over that fear. I slowly but surely started getting over the anxiety I would have at a golf course. And I just started making videos again. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to make a whole business out of this. And I wrote up literally a whole business plan of who I'm going to be, what my brand is going to be, all the shit that I'm leaving behind, and my whole social media strategy. And I it's changed a few times since then, but my brand has stayed pretty much the same. And I changed my following from 100% male to now we are 85% Oh female. my gosh, congrats. I love that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's how it's I'm funny. like, no, that's what, like, people have told me, they're like, you need to, like, post golf content. I'm like, yeah. I'm kind of, like... That would be fun because, like, I've, I haven't – like, I feel like that would, like, help me get, like, onto the golf course more just because, like, it would, like – it's, like, a fun thing to do, like, mm-hmm. also. Like, I did, like, a play a hole with me the other day with my boyfriend. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. So I will say it takes me out of golf, like, for sure. I don't feel super focused when I play on a golf course depending on, yeah. like, who's filming for me. If it's a tripod and I'm setting it up, it is very distracting. Yeah. So don't expect <laughs> to, like, career it. Um, But it's still – it's a dream. I yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So what has been your biggest mental struggle, you think, either while you were playing golf or after you were playing golf? I know you kind of touched on, like, dealing with anxiety around golf, but do you think that was your biggest kind of struggle you faced throughout your career or even afterwards? Yeah. I would say I've had, like, a huge problem at each stage. Junior golf, severe, severe avoidance. Like, my dad would drop me off at the club to play, and I would hide in the locker room. So that Mm. was step one. Somehow I managed to play college golf. I don't even know because I felt like I avoided practice most of the time. I get there. That's still avoidant. Getting kicked off the team was the hardest thing to come back to, like, that environment of distrust when I already didn't have trust for, like, myself or anything. That was hard, but we touched on that already. Definitely the hardest part is, like, right after that still now even I'm a lot better now I've I've made strides but it was showing up to a golf course and trying to relax and crying (laughs) and it was like so intense of emotions I was just like and and so stupid like if if somebody's looking at me and I'm just like not even playing like I couldn't even play more than a hole and playing golf with my dad was definitely a huge thing that I'm still overcoming. Like, I I can't do it. And I feel bad because it's, like, what we would do together. Uh, and every time I go yeah. home, he, like, invites me to play in his friends' groups. And we, we he always wants to play golf. And whenever I play with him, just his presence, like, the memories, the ego environment that he still kind of likes to be in, like, for his own sake, whatever, literally will make me like my heart will start beating out of my chest. I'll like start crying and get super red, like frozen. And I have like no control over my muscles. I'm like shaking because everything we talked about earlier, that still happens to me. And I'm like, I can't believe that I'm on the internet talking about how great golf is and how fun it is and how relaxing (laughs) it is. And I'm (laughs) and Davis will be filming for me. And I'm like, shut that off. Oh and my like, gosh. This is the behind the scenes that I definitely like if you if any of my followers are watching this, I'm definitely gonna be more real about that with you guys. But um yeah, when if I like if I decide to make a play a hole with me and it's not going well, it takes every fiber in my being to like to be like, really, Oh, I made a double on this hole. Did you see the last one? I was like, No, two minutes to double. <laughs> <laughs> the one time I posted that, I tried so hard to authentically be 
happy and positive, even though I did make a double and I posted it. Yeah. That's how I wonder. I'm like, but do people post doubles? Like, I'm posting I like, doubles. Yeah. I'm posting all my doubles yeah. from now on. Because <laughs> I make a lot of them, and I'm like, I'm genuinely not very good at golf anymore. Like, do I still have a pretty decent swing? Yeah. Have I ever, have I had a legitimate range session since freshman year of college? Like, no. <laughs> I, like, literally <laughs> haven't. So, yeah. If I you don't. don't mind me asking, so... You're so emotionally intelligent and you've like pinpointed that like golf was bringing you anxiety and kind of like broke it down into the fit, like different stages. How did you become so like knowledgeable and address this? Is it just because like you're getting, you mentioned you're getting your master's mm -hmm. in sports psychology or like did you have a therapist that you like talked to this mm -hmm. about? Like what was kind of like the first step for that to make you be like, oh my gosh, like. I'm triggered when I get on a golf course and I'm triggered because of this and this yeah. and all of these. When did I factors. figure that out? Um, I did not have a therapist until this year. So I started therapy. Actually, I started therapy almost a year ago. I'm not in it right now, but yeah, I talked about a lot of that. But I was the type of person, and this is like why I want this to be my career. I just like self-diagnose. Like I would go into therapy and I would tell her all my problems and she's like, Okay, so it seems like you know what's wrong. I like, do that in therapy. <laughs> she's like, do you want my help, like, like addressing them, or do you just want to, like, know what's there? Because it seems like you know what's there. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I just wanted to, like, say that. Actually, that's all for today. Yeah, I just want a second professional opinion. Like, yeah, so. That's so funny. I think I've just always had the tendency, once I got curious about it, to really dig in, which didn't happen until my post-college career. In college, all I knew was that I didn't want to be there and that I felt bad when I was there. And I just thought that meant I was lazy. Um, so I hadn't come to any of these conclusions in college. Afterwards, I avoided it for the whole year doing recruiting. Davis is what sparked it, now that I'm thinking about it. Davis is what sparked it because he'd be like, this shit ain't normal. Like, you're showing up to a golf course and you're crying when we pull in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's traumatizing. Yeah, because... I didn't have a reason. And like once I realized that there was no reason, I'm like, hello, like why <laughs> like this why is can't weird. I breathe? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's wow. what started it. It's and like PTSD. I, yeah. Literally. And then wow. I started getting um really interested in it. And I just started allowing myself to observe my emotions rather than constantly trying to fight it. And Davis is great. He's very similar to me. So honestly, a lot of it came from just talking to him, um, some books I read. And then I was like, I'm getting my degree in this because I That's want awesome. to be certifiably like helpful in yeah, this. That and is so cool. I've learned a lot since that then. Cool. So you like, yeah, you like sparked an interest in me. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I like so this. I love this. What was your undergrad in? Communications. Yeah. Interesting. Just went back to school and decided to do it. That's awesome. But, um, what are your next steps with social media and you have anything exciting coming up? Hopefully the podcast. I've yeah. been saying that every time I go on a podcast. Do you have a name yet? Kind of. Because we're not sure how much, how broad we're going to keep it. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about in sports psychology. We want to have all different kinds of athletes. Julia is on the list. Oh, Julia's <laughs> on my list too. And she's my best friend. And it's You're been impossible. Julia? She's like, oh, I'm gone this weekend. Oh, sorry. Like, I'm going to get fitted for a wedding dress. Oh, I'm do I'm like, oh, okay. bruh. Okay. 
Julia's on the list. Eventually. I wanted to, I've wanted to interview her for so long once I started getting into this. And, like, she is the one girl. She's one person I know that, like, somehow got it down. And I'm so interested. To but you would be that. very surprised at how much she would, um, like, reject that opinion. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, actually, um. No, like, I'm, I'm sure she has, she's had hardships and I'm, I'm very, I'm mostly just interested to learn about those and see a yeah. different perspective of a successful. And like overcoming career. them and being one of the best golfers. Mm-hmm. It so is that's crazy. really interesting to me. But yeah, the that's podcast exciting. is the next big step for social media wise. Other than that, I'll just be present on TikTok and Instagram. I should make a YouTube, but it's just a lot right now. I've got about six more months of school. So that's taking up the majority of my time, and I can't awesome. do as much content. But once I get my degree and complete my field work and stuff, I'll be certified, and I will start that career as well. So I'm hoping that once I start integrating this content more into my brand, which it's not right now. Sorry, guys. I've been gatekeeping all the information. <laughs> um, I want to kind of just do, like, virtual stuff with people. So awesome. I'll talk about it. If anybody wants to work directly, we can work directly. Cool. Go ahead and tag yourself, your social media. Yes, guys. Um, it's Haley Bocholt, H-A-L-E-Y-B-O-O-K-H-O-L-D-T. It's kind of a mouthful. Hopefully I get engaged soon. My last name will become Cheek. Ooh. Much, much easier. <laughs> that might be something exciting coming Haley up, Cheek. too. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Well, thank we you so much for coming on. Yes, yes. so much thank fun. Thank you for having me. Sorry, I trauma dumped a little bit. Oh, no, no it was I great. Was amazing. Like, We're like I finding out about ourselves, too. Yeah. We're like, wait, I had that, too. Like, yeah. what the heck? I commit to it just because I know, like, this would have saved me if I was younger. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm mind blown right now. <laughs> I loved everything you said. Oh, and, that's like, great. I awesome. want everyone ever to hear this. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys.